0: okay we're live hi this is william ramsey welcome to william ramsey investigates on today's show i have a very special guest a returning guest his name is anthony de stefano and we spoke about four months ago about a book he had published in 2021 title of that book is the deadly dawn Vito genovese mafia boss and i asked him back to come and talk about this story that i'm very interested in i'm familiar with goodfellas but I was really interested in looking into some of the more detailed elements of the story, which he covers in this book titled The Big Heist, The Real Story of the LaFonsa Heist, The Mafia and Murder, originally published 2017. There's an audio book for that. Uh, just a uh, background for Anthony. Again, Anthony M. DiStefano has been a reporter for the past 20 years for Newsday in New York City, specializing in criminal justice and legal affairs. He's the author of The Last Godfather, King of the Godfathers, Mob Killer, The War on Human Trafficking. Gangland, New York, among others. He's appeared on Biography Channel programs as an expert on organized crime and also speaks at academic conferences about crime and human trafficking. As a member of the staff of Newsday, Mr. DiStefano was on the team of reporters who won the Pulitzer Prize for Spot News in 1992 for the newspaper's coverage of the Union Square subway crash that happened in 1991. So I mentioned some of the titles of his books. Uh, another one is Top Hoodlum, Frank Costello, Prime Minister of the Mafia, 2018, also, the most recent prior to the Deadly Don was Gotti's Boys, the mafia crew that killed for John Gotti, who comes up in this story in a kind of secondary role. Uh, for more information about Tony's work and upcoming events, check out www.tonydestefano.com and look for his Facebook pages under Anthony M. DeStefano and the King of the Godfathers, which I'll put in the show notes. But again, today we're going to talk about this book titled, again, The Big Heist, The Real Story of the Lafonza Heist the Mafia and Murder. So Tony Stefano, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me again. Awesome. Well, so pre- people may not have heard our earlier show. Can you do a brief overview of some of your work? You've been in New York City. This event happened in New York City. And then what led you down the road to uh, investigate the Lufthansa heist?
1: Well, in a nutshell, I was, at the time of Lufthansa, I was working with uh, uh, something called Fairchild Publications, which was a trade publication. Uh, which, among other things, published uh, Women's Wear Daily and some other trade magazines. Uh, We got into the mob stuff by doing a series on organized crime in the garment district, the garment business in New York City, where it had been rife for many years. And um, that's how we got into it. Uh, We did a quick study. We were really babes in the woods, but we had to learn pretty quickly the history of the mafia in New York City and in the garment industry. So that's how I got into it. And uh, one thing led to another. I spent a little bit of time at the Wall Street Journal, uh, doing some organized crime reporting. But then in '86, went to Newsday, where I uh, you know been ever since, and uh, written about organized crime, uh, legal affairs, and you know a host of other uh, criminal justice-related topics. Uh, that uh, is a broad brush uh, a portrait of you know my career. You mentioned, I think, the, uh, the previous book we talked about, The Deadly Dawn, that was about Vito Genovese, you know, the namesake of the Genovese crime family, uh, who you know was a, uh, a character many people may not focus on, but I've been pleasantly surprised to see that a lot of people are buying the book uh, because Genovese is an interesting character in his own right, uh, a flawed uh, character in the sense that he caused a lot of his own trouble he got nabbed in a drug case and that sent him to prison for the rest of his life uh and he had delusions of grandeur in one sense he wanted to be like the big boss of new york but that rubbed people the wrong way and he didn't really you know play well with other children and the mob let's put it that way right so ask, please continue yeah that's it
0: for, so, veto. So, for veto, right. So <laughs> right. For veto, but you, this story was big news in NYC, the date that the robbery happened, December 11th, 1978. Can you kind of talk about what it was like being in the city at that time and the news surrounding the heist and then lead into the background? of Yeah, what happened
1: yeah I can. It, I mean, the, look, the mob had a lot of tentacles in various industries in New York City. And the five families were really are probably close to the peak of their power in this period, uh, the and uh, you know the Lucchese, the Gambino, the Bonanno, the Genovese, and the Colombo crime families—they were all really at their, I think, the peak. Uh, this is in '78, late '78, and it was through that that um, uh, you know they seemed to have control over a lot of police. There was police corruption. Uh, the mob its people in the police department they could work with and be sources of information. So it really was kind of a very raw time in law enforcement in the city. That's not to say, you know, cops weren't doing their job. They were trying to make cases. But um, the mob, I think at this point, uh, was probably on its uh, final hurrah, let's put it that way. As we got into the 80s, things started to fall apart. But um, the late 70s, I think, was a Interesting time for the mob because they still had a lot of power and a lot of big characters.
0: Right. And some of those you
1: cover in this book, right? It's Paul Vario, Jimmy Burke.
0: Can you talk about some of the characters surrounding the heist?
1: Yeah. I mean, Paul Vario was a very important captain in, uh, uh, I believe it was the Casey Crime family. And uh, he was a real powerful captain. and He had control over a lot of rackets, particularly at the airport. Uh, the other, uh, you know, under him, but not a member of the mafia, was Jimmy Burke, who was the mythical character seen in the movie Goodfellas, uh, played by Robert De Niro, known as Jimmy Conway. Uh, they changed the names for obviously legal reasons. Under Burke or Conway, however you want to call it, a lot of other subsidiary characters who played the rackets and were the tough guys. Uh, Tommy DeSimone, Simone, Joe Pesci character in the movie Goodfellas. Uh, Henry Hill came in, uh, and uh, you know you had a you had a, a hierarchy from Vario on down. And Vario, of course, was a very important mafia figure in one of the five families in New York City. So he had a lot of clout, and uh, he was a guy who had a lot of loyalty.
0: Right, so, so
1: there's this group
0: and something happens where they get the information about this transfer of unmarked bills into JFK, right? At the That's outside. correct.
1: There was a guy working at the airport uh, who uh, tipped off uh, uh, a, a, a businessman in Queens uh, who was into gambling and had a lot of gambling debts and you know knew a lot of the wise guys, about a score, a lot of cash uh, and jewelry, uh, and uh, I'll give you, the, you know, the Cliff Notes version. And so the, the businessman went to Burke and told him about this. And Burke began to put together a, a little uh, syndicate of people to pull off the heist because I had inside information from the airport uh, person about security, alarms, uh, the, the safe room that the money and jewels were going to be kept in, and other things that would help make this, make this heist work. So Burke put together the combination uh, of people. Uh, Henry Hill really wasn't involved, uh, even though the Movie Goodfellows suggests that he may have been. He really wasn't involved in the planning of the heist and the execution of the highest. He was, uh, some people didn't like him, they didn't trust him. So he was kept sort of on the side. Uh, but he knew what was going on. And then they pulled it off. I mean, Burke pulled together his team with Dee and some of the other people, as well as uh, Frank Burke, his son. And they. Uh, and apparently, Vinny Asaro. Uh, a Bonanno crime family member, and they pulled it off. And uh, could they ever do that today? Probably not, because I think the security, one, would have been much better at the airport. We'd have video cameras, license plate readers, uh, better alarm systems, and better reaction uh, by law enforcement. But they pulled it off, and they got away with like over $5 million in cash. And uh, about eight hundred to a million dollars in jewelry. For,
0: but they, it was kind of uh, a complex system because the they money. had to, uh, kind of, uh, there were a lot of people working there that they had to apprehend and take hostage, right? Can you kind of talk about the mechanics? Of yeah, they to the they moment?
1: got to, to the the night of the heist. They got in and they got one of the guys who was, uh, you know, one of the workers at the Lufthansa terminal. And they basically strong armed him and threw him in the back of the truck. Uh, so he couldn't tip off anybody that you know something was going on, that there was you know thieves outside. And they got in because there was really no warning. And they got in into the uh, Lufthansa facility. and really basically just overpowered everybody. They were armed. Uh they were masked for the most part. Although well, some of them took their masks off, and that you know became interesting later on because uh, Cops were able to get some sketches of some of these uh, heist guys, and mainly de And they overpowered everybody, uh, had at least one person get them to the safe room and disarm the alarm. And they got into the safe room, got the cash, uh, opened up the plastic uh, packages, which had about $168,000, I think, in cash uh, within each one. And they knew they were golden. And they got the jewelry. They packed everything up. They wrapped everybody up, all the workers. They tied them up, took their licenses so that the workers knew that the the gangsters knew who they were, and left. Eventually, one of the workers was able to muscle his way free of his shackles and call the Port Authority security. And after that, but then it was too late because these guys were gone, and they went out to exited the airport and got to uh, you know secondary location and started giving up the uh, the proceeds and that, that's how it happened
0: right so they, remember, my understanding I was, was saying, is they didn't expect yeah. to have six million like they didn't expect to have that big of a haul is that right
1: yeah that, that's that's what I've heard they didn't expect to have that much money I think they thought maybe three. Three million, but uh, after they started opening these blister packs of cash, suddenly realized, you know, uh, this is golden, folks. You know, we got a lot here, and uh, it was a lot of money. For them, it was a lot of money. Even now, it's a lot of money.
0: Right. I think it's price, the, that amount of money, taking it for tax. I mean, inflation or whatever. Oh,
1: sure, I mean. sure. Yeah. And how did no, that?
0: How did that kind of news go through the media in New York City when that happened?
1: Oh, you know, it was big news! Big news. The next morning. Early morning radio shows, uh, the papers uh, had a, you know big block uh, type headlines on the front page about about the heist, and uh, uh, you know it really was a story that just went through the city. It was so brazen. Some people really you know favored the gangsters in this case because they were able to pull it off. So you know, there was more power to them, so to speak. But it, it really was a Uh, a crime that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I would say shocked. I I suppose shocked, but, uh, um, you know, rocketed through the city. And it did for many years.
0: I think it's still one of the great mob crimes. Um, And so what happened next? After the news hit, it caused the, the turbulence within the group of gangsters started almost immediately, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, what happened was, of course, uh, some of these gangsters took their masks off during the heist. And some of the hostages, as, as you know, the airport workers, were able to provide police with descriptions so that the police artists could do sketches. So you knew basically you know, who you were looking for. And actually, through the mob intelligence networks and through the FBI informants, they had a pretty good sense right away that it was Jimmy Burke's crew that, that was involved. Not enough to make a case, but that was enough to point them in the right direction. Um, Things started to happen because Stax Edwards, uh, uh, he was an African-American, I guess musician, was working with the gang, Uh, was supposed to get rid of the van that was used in the heist, but he didn't. Instead, he went to his girlfriend's to shack up for the night. And the van was illegally parked, and the cops ticketed it and they found it right away because of match descriptions. And they started dusting it for prints. So they were getting prints off the van. Um, Stacks, you know, in the movie Goodfellas, Stacks was killed. He uh, uh, was executed because of his surah. But in reality, I think what happened was that he shot his mouth off some days after that at a Christmas party. Uh, and he said something about, I want some of this money that you Italian guys got from the airport. And Paul Vario was within earshot. And uh, the story is that he said, oh, he's got to go. And Stacks was was summarily killed. And actually it was, the gangsters paid for Stax's funeral. They felt a little bad about it. But some of the, the way, can you talk about how the money was intended to be
0: divided up and, and included and sent out to the crime family and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, Look, the participants were supposed to get a cut. You know how much you know varied between uh, individuals. Uh, the jewelry was used as a uh, as like a tribute payment. for Some gangsters' uh, the story is John Gotti got some. Uh, Joe Massino of the Bonanno family got some, and uh, some may have gone to the Colombo crime family as well. Uh, but the money was supposedly divided up. And Burke, uh, of course, didn't do an equitable split. Some guys didn't get all their money that, were d- that was due to them. Some got none. And uh, that created some resentment and rancor. And the story was that Burke kept a lion's share of the money. Others, like Vinny Asaro, got some. But Burke was supposedly the one who had most of the money. Uh, did they ever find the money uh, not to anybody's knowledge the jewelry that's gone that's dissipated that's you know you'll never find that so the money uh again you know, has never been confiscated or recovered uh, it was a lot of money.
0: right and so they the Bert kept the money was really paranoid about his crew and people were talking and things
1: yeah, the, it like
0: became a curse, right, for the participants. Yeah,
1: in that's true. As you saw in, in *Goodfellas*, and this is, in some instances is true. Some of these participants were spending some of their money. Uh, others, Burke got very paranoid about because he basically realized there were a lot of people involved, and a lot more people who were potential informants or cooperating witnesses if they ever got caught. Um, so people started to die and, um, uh, you know, they were found all over the city for many, many months, you know, homicide victims. And uh, broadly speaking, what you saw in Goodfellows was true, uh, but there was some, you know, film license and some of the, some of the executions, but it was a curse. I mean, people got jammed up or died and Vinnie Sauer didn't die. He got some money according to the testimony in the case, his trial, and, um, you know, did something with it, but it was a curse to him because he really never had, he was, it was quoted as saying, I never really, never really got from Jimmy Burke what we were supposed to get. And uh, that showed that, you know, Burke was really uh, squandering uh, and, uh, you know, profiting much more than anybody else. And he, sorry, this is the guy who puts together the squad.
0: And eventually, I think almost all of that squad ended up getting murdered, right? Except yeah.
1: for... Yeah, you, you can go through it. The, you know, they started dying fairly soon afterwards. DeSimone got killed, but perhaps not for reasons of uh, uh, his involvement in the heist, but it may have been something to do with his a uh, uh, problem-killing... A member of the Gambino crime family uh, without permission some years earlier. So he had some issues, so he may have died because of other things he did. but everybody else who was dying uh, you know they they pretty much tried, I would say about four or five murders that I can I can uh, put my finger on All right so Keflora and his, his wife, Joe Mamory, Ireland A and Astrid, Robert McMahon.
0: Eventually, they got rubbed out. So it's really kind of like being involved in that case. Yeah, it's like King
1: Tut's curse.
0: Yeah, it was a curse. <laughs> and so, you know, you bring out that you talk about this guy, Vincent Asaro. The FBI really wants them, but they don't have enough evidence. and They never had any evidence to take anybody to trial until 2014, right?
1: Yeah, what happened was they did a case uh, about Asaro. Uh, there was only one trial. Previously involving Lufthansa, uh, which the low-level airport guy uh, who was the tipster, so to speak, uh, was was convicted. Right. It was none Warner. of the other big guys. Warner. Yeah, uh, Warner and uh, you know, Burke wasn't charged with it. Uh, Sarah at that time wasn't charged with it. None of the other people were charged. So they were trying to make cases. Uh, they couldn't get enough together to to to, to make a case. It was a difficult. You know, the electronic surveillance at the time. Was not like you have today it was um uh you know uh, technically not as good uh the surveillance methods were not as sharp um uh so it was difficult but by 2014 or so the fbi got uh, uh gaspar valente venia cousin as an informant and valente was uh uh, you know, down on his luck, had no money, needed a grub stake. So he decided to become a cooperating witness. And his big get for the FBI was his cousin, Vinnie Sarah, who uh, the FBI believes, the police believe. Uh, I think the trial evidence showed uh, appeared to have been involved in the heist. But he was acquitted. It. He, it he, was was they went to trial in 2015 and they resurrected the old Lufthansa case. And everybody said, Oh my god, after all these years, we're going to have a trial. Uh, and you, most people thought they had a pretty good case because they had tapes that sort of suggested that Asarab knew and participated. They had the Valente's the testimony, they had some you know collateral testimony, but the case didn't gel. I think part of the reason was because Asaro now was the eldest statesman. He was about close to 80 years old. And he was in the quorum just by himself. There was nobody else charged uh, in his indictment. Nobody else went to trial. And nobody else was accused of Lufthansa. So the jury, I think, looked at him and said, yeah, this is this one guy, and uh, we're going to hang everything on him. And I think that played into it. I think the the fact that maybe they didn't like the fact that his cousin was informing on him in such a mercenary way, I think may have grated against the uh, the jury. And I think the defense did a good job of creating reasonable doubt about some of the testimony. And uh, I also think, and this is haven't been brought out much before, but it's in the book. The case was very complicated. They had unrelated charges in there trying to show that Sarah was a big gangster. At one time, he was, but uh, he really was down on his luck. And a lot of that stuff just really didn't make any sense in putting this case together for trial. So in the end, what happened? Well, Sarah got acquitted, and he walked out of the court. I remember that day very distinctly because everybody was expecting a guilty finding, Uh, But I said to myself, you know, there's a little window that Saro could wiggle through uh, in terms of the proof in this case. And of course, he's denied ever having any participation in the heist, denied testimony against him. And he (gasps) got acquitted. And he got acquitted. And uh, he walked out of the courtroom, the happiest man in the world. Uh, He'd been in jail for about two years. So, and, uh, what kind so, of evidence did they bring
0: uh, up in that 2014 case? New evidence. Well,
1: they had Gaspar Valente's tapes of Asaro, in which Asaro suggested that he knew about the heist and complained about not getting his cut. Um, and that—that's you know the, the tapes and. You know, Valente's realization uh, or recollections of what was going on at the time. Um, Those were the main bits of evidence. Uh, But like I said, it wasn't enough. Um, And and what what happened to Jimmy
0: Burke over that time? Like, he ended up going to jail, but not for the Lufthansa, right?
1: Yeah, Jimmy Burke went to jail uh, on a couple of other things. One was a homicide case of a, they killed a drug dealer. And another was, uh, in the Boston college basketball fixing case. Now, he didn't get as much time as a homicide, which sent him to state prison for life, but he never got convicted of, uh, any involvement in or Jimmy Burke, and he died in prison. I think it was 1996, if I'm correct.
0: Did they ever, how many people did they tie to him who got killed? I mean, he was basically a serial killer, right? Of sorts.
1: I would say a good half dozen. Yeah. it's incredible.
0: And uh, the, what happened kind of as far as, like, uh, Samantha's asking, did Jimmy keep all the money for himself?
1: No, he didn't keep all the money. He kept a large portion of it. Um, Testimony at Asara's trial showed that Asara got some. Some of the other people got some. Uh, uh, I think Valente kept some in his house. He didn't get a hell of a lot. Um, and the jewelry, of course, you know, went to as tribute to various other crime families, bosses and captains, you know, Gotti and Messino, and I think some of the Colombo crime family too. So it
0: was almost kind of like worth all the crime family's while to make sure a lot of the, the actual burglars or gangsters got got whacked, right? Because then, then nothing would lead back to them.
1: Well, certainly from, Burke, from Burke's point of view, I think he was paranoid uh, and realized that uh, he has to cut, cut ties with anybody connected to the heist that he was not confident about. Um uh, so you know people started to die, and uh <laughs> that shows you you know there's really no uh no honor among thieves, no uh, no protection of life. And then Paul Katz, what was his involvement? He
0: there was like a more recent within the last 10 years they were looking for his body too, right?
1: Oh Paul Katz, Paul Katz's body. Um Paul Katz was a Sort a of hanger-on, a trucker who was like a hanger-on and part-time hijacker for, for Burke and his crew. Um, the cats... Burke got very skittish about cats and believed that cats was going to, and may in fact have already have been, uh, an informant for the police. So they killed cats. Uh, the testimony was that he was strangled. And then the testimony at the Saro's trial was that Katz was buried in the basement of a home of a relative in Queens, uh, basement of a home of a relative of the Saro uh, in Queens, sort of the Ozone Park area, uh, and the, in the concrete for many years until Burke got worried that they might find that body. So he had a couple of his people, including Vinnie son, dig it up and take the remains upstate or in some other place for disposal. The thing was, they didn't clean up the burial pit totally. And the FBI, when it learned from Valente about the burial, uh, dug it up, and they found bones. And a forensic anthropologist from the New York City Medical Examiner not only identified them as human, but through DNA analysis, they identified them as being that of Paul Katz. So that ratified or corroborated some of Volante's testimony, which made him appear, you know, as a as a valuable witness. Uh, so you know, they found they found. Paul Katz's remains, some of them anyway, and they gave him, you know, gave it back to his family, and the family I think took care of it, did a burial. And then, kind of, the
0: story story that's in Godfather 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 is Henry Hill at some point flipped right and went into the witness protection program, testified against Burke and Paul Vario,
1: right? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, what happened was uh, Henry Hill got jammed up on a Long Island. drug case and that was public at that point and that was against the you know long time scripture of the mob that you don't get involved in drugs Now that was a fiction because I think everybody knows that the mob for many decades was involved in drugs narcotics off the books sort of unofficially but in any case Henry Hill got arrested on a drug case and uh that soured his relationship with not only Paul Vario, but also with Jimmy Burke, who realized that, hey, Henry Hill is uh, got a case, a serious case against him. Is he going to flip? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Burke, uh, well, this is Henry Hill's supposition, that Burke wanted him, was going to have him killed. Somebody was going to have him killed. So he decided to become a state's witness for the FBI. Uh, he gave him some stuff on Lufthansa. Like I said, he really didn't have that much inside information about Lufthansa and how it went down and the planning. But he had a lot of mental information. He had information about the, uh, uh, the Boston College basketball uh, a uh, case uh, and other other crimes. There were other crimes he was involved in, so he was able to uh, uh, become an effective witness in some ways, uh, ineffective in some cases. Uh, and, but still, is, it, uh, is, it, is it
0: is it true it, that Hill and it, Barton it, could not it, be made members because they weren't a hundred percent Italian?
1: That's true. Yeah, the, the scripture the rule in the mafia is that you have to have uh, uh, I think your mother. Has to be Italian.
0: Uh, it's to
1: Become a member. Uh, so <laughs> they were Irish, uh, and uh, uh, if I have this right, you know, they, they were ethnically excluded. They could be associates and very good ones, but they, they couldn't be in the mob.
0: And um, the story that I found that was interesting. So the story about Spider that's in Goodfellas is a true story involving. Tommy DeSimone, right?
1: Yeah, he did shoot and kill somebody in the basement of the uh, club. And the story was that they buried this guy in the club, in the basement, in the floor. Uh, well, years later, the FBI acting on tips went in uh, uh, and dug up the floor. And the only bones they found were those of a cow. Because that area of of Brooklyn and sort of bordering Queens was uh, uh, at one point farmland. So you dig down deep enough, you, you don't know what you're going to find. But they didn't find any human remains. It's just so Jeez. many murders
0: were surrounding these guys. It really is incredible.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, this is the the period of the mob where murders were happening a lot. The murders happened in the mob, you know, for decades up until probably. Uh, About the late 1990s, they started to taper off at that point. But 70s, 80s, 60s, you know, a lot of people are getting killed. It's just incredible. Sometimes for very trivial reasons, you
0: know. Right. I mean, it just seems like these, some of these guys, they just all ended a terrible uh, demise. Like, even Burke ended up in jail, but every other one of them got killed for one reason or another. Murdered after robbing a drug dealer yeah. Dismemberment, like really horrible stuff.
1: Yeah, dismemberment was uh, something Te- that went Teresa on. Teresa
0: Ferraro? Teresa Ferraro? Yeah, Teresa
1: Ferraro, a, I believe a girlfriend of Dee Simone at one point. Uh, there was suspicion that she was becoming a cooperating witness. So she left her beauty salon or whatever, and I think it was in Queens or Brooklyn, and was never seen again until her body parts washed up off of the Jersey coast. Pretty lady, you know, played with the mob, uh, and that's what happens. You know, these these women—not all of them, but some of them get tied in with these guys—and it's an interesting, exciting life, a lot of money, a lot of glamour, a lot of respect on the street. But in the end, you know, you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you're dead. It's a great point. You're the only, the point. only woman who died,
0: right? In this that's case crazy. or this situation, it was Teresa Ferrara. Joanna Lombardo and Joanna Cofora, all right. with their husbands and their boyfriends, and then they ended up in the worst. You that's know, right, circumstances. yeah. Circumstances. Yeah.
1: So I mean, that's a that's a lesson, right? Yeah, it's dangerous.
0: I know we were talking in the pre-show. This this reminds me of I was watching a documentary about the break-in, the bank break-in at the Federal Bank in Brazil, and these guys got 161 million reals, like a huge amount of money, but it just ended up as a curse. And when one of the head leaders got arrested by the cops, he's like, "Thank God this is over. Put me in jail. I do not want to be out here. Everybody knows I have this money. My family members are getting abducted. My friends are getting killed. It just it created so much in, uh, jealousy and greed and lust and all that stuff. And all these and they're just like this case. There are tons of dead bodies, tons of missing people in this Brazil case. And
1: uh, what were the well, consequent? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of the the." Uh, the story and all this mob stuff. Uh, These guys, uh, they do these big crimes. They don't involve just one person. They involve a whole bunch of conspirators and uh, Confederates. And at some point, everybody's going to look at everybody else and say, oh, is he going to flip? Or should I take care of him? Joe Messina was famous for that. Uh, A lot of people died uh, were connected to him. So yeah, I mean it's, a, yeah, it's supposed to be a life of loyalty, but it really, in the end, isn't.
0: Right. It's like the, so the, the whole the, the, whole, the, the surface world. it's honor respect, right. but everybody in on the in the real world, man, early ends. Some of these bodies are never found. It's really incredible. That's true. Um, yeah, Tony, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap this up?
1: Well, I mean, um, the the are Case the Lufthansa heist is one that's firmly uh, embedded in our you know popular culture. Um, you know you have the movie Goodfellas, uh, Nick Pelleggi's book Wise Guys. Uh, you know is framed around it in part, and it, it really is I think emblematic of a time when the mob was in its final heyday. Uh, they pulled it off. They pulled it off because I think law enforcement, to some extent, wasn't able to cope with this kind of thing. It was a brazen plan. Uh, and the, the, they had it together enough that they were able to pull it off. Uh, I don't think they could do this today. I don't think I'm not saying there couldn't be a rip off through other methods uh, at the airport or any other place. Uh, but I think it would be done differently. I think probably it would be done with you know, paper transactions, uh, fraud, uh, something that doesn't take such a big strong-arm, uh, uh, you know, tactic. Uh, but you know, we, then again, today in New York City and other places like Los Angeles, San Francisco, talk about strong-arm tactics. You have these grabbing smash-and-grab cool. robberies, sometimes taking significant amounts of jewelry and uh, items from stores. So, you know, I, I can't say that this strong-arm stuff is passé, but uh, certainly I think for the, the old gangsters, I think you're not going to see this. This is an age. time stamp About age.
0: And where's the best place to get the book? I know it's on the Amazon. You have an audio book of this as well. There's a lot yeah, more details.
1: Amazon, yeah, Amazon.com, Barnes Noble.com. Uh, some bookstores will have it they can get it for you Um, and uh, you know it's out there so you can get it it's still current
0: Yeah, there's a lot more details about this whole story that you have outside of the film there's a lot more uh, things going on under the surface and the best place to reach you Tony is at your
1: website Tony DeStefano.com correct? That's correct T-O-N-Y DeStefano last name dot com and um that's the best way. i so on Facebook also, as you said, uh, is either Anthony M. DiStefano or Tony Stefano. Either one will work. And I will put those links
0: into the show notes. So if people have follow-up questions, please reach out to Tony. And again, the title of the book that we talked about today is The Big Heist, The Real Story of the LaFonsa Heist, The Mafia and Murder, originally published 2017 by Tony DiStefano. Thanks so much for your time, Tony. No, thank you. All right, take care. Stay there.